It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to the Speedway Show. The topic of our uh, show today is God Every Day. Is God a word you only utter or think about one day a week, if at all? Does the mere word make you squeamish just thinking about the topic? Are you one of those people who believe they are self-made and God is just an excuse for the weak and the lazy and the people who don't know how to do for themselves? Today I'm going to give you some ideas that will hopefully give you a fresh perspective on the concept of God. I will hasten to tell you that I am not a preacher or any kind of religious scholar, so this isn't a sermon of any kind, but just a conversation to get you thinking. And the reason I I actually did this show is because so many of us, even believers, people who believe in God, um, so many of us relegate him to one day a week. Christians, we go to church once a week, perhaps. Um, Some of us do more during the week. We might go to Bible study. We might go volunteer at church. But, you know, so many of us focus on this concept of God once a week on Sunday. Um, If you're Jewish, perhaps you have, you know, in your religious practices, especially if you're not that devout, you know, you may have a different day that you worship. um, But perhaps God is something you think about that day. If you are a devotee, you actually might be even better off because you may go to uh, meditation on uh, a couple of days during the week. You may go on Saturday uh, for meditation. You may go on Sunday. So you are probably um, head and shoulders away from a lot of people because one of the things that you are taught, um, if you are, for example, a member of Self-Realization Fellowship, is that God is always and God is in everything. And when the Bible says, Seek ye first, it means you seek every single day. And you should be spending time every single day with your Father in prayer and meditation. That's what you would be taught if you were, for example, an SRF devotee, which I think is exactly right in terms of the focus. But for many, many, many of us, we do this once a year thing. We might go at Easter, we might go at Christmas, we might go on Sunday. But ever after, for the rest of my day, for the rest of my week, God is something that I just don't really think about. So I'm going to start with a hypothesis. What if? What if God isn't about rigorous observance and standardized rituals? What if those rituals are just a tool to help us observe, but they're not supposed to be the be-all and the end-all? Now, if you're Catholic, you might be thinking, what are you talking about? And I will happen to say I've been in Catholic churches, I've worshipped in Catholic churches at certain periods of my life. I have, uh, I actually went to two Catholic schools. One was a Catholic boarding school when I was in third grade, and I graduated from a Catholic high school. I have great respect for Catholics because, you know, I believe that they, um, many of them, the sincere ones, like in any religion, right, they love God just as much as I do. Um, they just have a different process around it. Um So you might be thinking, you know, of course, observance and protocol and, um, you know, uh, the way that we, the way that we process our worship is a fundamental part of our observance. 
But but what if the purpose of the gathering together on Sunday, for example, isn't really about observing ritual as much as it is about gathering together as a community to help encourage and love each other? Taking that one step further, what if the purpose of things like prayer is not to create markers and behaviors by which we measure our shortcomings when we fail to pray consistently? What if the true purpose of prayer and meditation is to provide tools to help us to get closer to God? And why does it matter that we get closer to God anyway? You might be thinking, hey, look at my life. I'm doing okay. I have a great job. I've got wonderful kids. I've got a spouse I'm actually in love with, which is more than I can say for many Bible-thumping people out there. My family is in good health. My future prospects are rosy. Life is good. Why do I need to be bothered with God? He didn't have anything to do with my getting where I am. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. So why mess up a good thing? To the extent that I've had some good fortune come my way, let's talk. Let's chalk it up to fate and just keep on going. Let me ask you another hypo- uh, hypothetical question. What if God isn't some guy who looks like Zeus sitting on a cloud on his throne ordering us around? What if God gave us relationships on earth so that we can learn how to relate to him. What if this idea that God is love really is the crux and and at the center of everything we need to understand about God? What if, what if, what if? So now let's ask the obvious question you might be thinking. So what is God anyway? Um, What would it mean if God was love and all about relationships? I was um, kind of curious about this definition early in my personal walk with God because I'm thinking I was a little bit confused because, you know, the, the the Old Testament and the book of Genesis says this thing about how we're created in God's image and I'm looking at myself and I'm looking at all the people around me and I'm thinking, well, heck, how can that be? All of us are different, every single one, not even identical twins are the same. So how's that working? Um, So I was kind of interested in finding a definition. And since I rely on my life manual, which happens to be the Bible, and I call it that because it's just like a product manual, it gives you guidance for how best to live your life. It tells you what to do. It tells you what not to do. It tells you how to troubleshoot if you run your life off in a ditch. It's a manual. And I also call it a manual because... Not everybody uses the same manual. So I have friends who use the Quran. I have friends who use the Bhagavad Gita. And the purpose of this show is not to sit around and throw rocks at what everybody else is doing and how what I'm doing is the best thing because I think there's so many places that you can go and get that kind of dogma. The purpose for this show is really just to draw on that which we all have in common. And what I can tell you is whether you read the the Holy Bible whether you read the Quran, whether you read the um, Bhagavad Gita, you or whether you read, say, the Hebrew Bible, the one thing that all of us agree on is that God, there is one God. And uh, he is the creator of all things. So let's draw on that commonality. And for today and for this show and for the Speedway show in general, let us not fight about all the other things that we don't agree on. So... Um, I'm looking at my life manual, which happens to be the Bible, for what is God. And in my life manual, in the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul actually defines God. He says God is spirit. Isn't that interesting? If that is true, then God is not Zeus sitting on his throne 
on a cloud, wielding a thunderbolt or ever or whatever else God might be inclined to wield, right? Um, you know, I'm a black woman, and so what I get out of that too is that God isn't some old white guy that, you know, I might not necessarily relate to as my father, right? Um, what if, and if God is, is spirit, then he's not solid form. If God is spirit, then he's energy. If God is spirit, then he's not even a he. Actually, if you really think about it, um, it's a rather mind-bending concept, is it not? If you are talked about SRF devotees, um, if you're an SRF devotee, you are quite familiar with the concept of God not being solid form. And um, you also recognize that God is not necessarily a he, right? And uh, so when you talk to God, you you talk to God in terms of, you know, Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, uh, Friend, and you think about God in these different aspects of who, you know, quote-unquote, he is. But for many of you listening, you may not have ever thought of God as anything other than a he, and it may turn everything you know on its ear. But if God is spirit, then God is not necessarily, you know, God is not a physical form. But actually, if you think about it, and, you know, follow me for a moment, if you think about it that way, it explains a whole lot of stuff, doesn't it? It explains, for example, omnipotence. You can't be omnipotent if you are solid mass, because if you're solid mass, you're kind of stuck in wherever you are. I am sitting right now in my den at my house, and since I'm not omnipotent, I can't be um, in my daughter's bedroom. I can't be um, with my family in, 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 in real time the way that I am sitting in my living room because I'm trapped in this body. Well, if God is not a single solid mass, it explains why he can be omnipotent. And, you know, you're a solid mass. You try being in just two places alone, two places at once, let alone everywhere. So, you know, God being spirit suddenly explains omnipotence. How many men and women were made in his image? All of us, right? So if God is spirit then it suddenly explains how that can be. How can we be made in his image if we are so physically different, if that reference was a reference to our physicality? Not only are men and women different, but even within the same gender, race, ethnicity, you're never going to find two people who are completely identical. Not even identical twins are really identical in all respects. Then you multiply the differences by the race, the creed, the color, the language, and just the physical appearance. And the whole thing about being made in God's image, frankly, makes absolutely no sense. Unless God's image is not a physical description, right? So my life manual tells me that human beings are composed of three main elements, the body, the soul, and the spirit. If God is spirit and we are made in his image, then Perhaps this is a reference to spirit, and perhaps this is a reference to the, the the spirit component, the intelligence of man. And then all of a sudden, how we can be made in God's image actually makes sense, because no matter how different we physically look, then if this is a reference to that which is inside of us, our spirit, our soul, then it makes sense that we were made in God's image. Now, you might be thinking, well, uh, why not the emphasis on the body rather than the spirit anyway? 
And as I said before, I'm not a pastor. I'm just a chick trying to make sense of the stuff like you. But my theory is that the emphasis is on spirit because the body is perishable. It is just a mechanism to house your spirit while you're on this earth. God is eternal, spirit is eternal, and that is the part of you that really matters and matters the most. And if you read the New Testament, there are places where Jesus says to you, you know, if you're finding that your body is putting your spirit at jeopardy, then it is better for you to just cut off that body part and go on your merry way. If your eye is causing you to sin, better that you pluck it out than that you and, and throw it away, than that you lose your in, in, entire being to, um, you know, <laughs> hellfire and damnation because um, you allowed your soul to follow, to follow that eye that's causing you to sin. Um, that would be my suggestion for why, you know, there is perhaps less emphasis on the body. Other curious things start to make sense, like why God doesn't have a wife, why he didn't need to procreate in order to create man because these kinds of constraints are associated with the body. Once you transcend the body, there are a lot of restrictions that no longer bind you. I don't feel like this as much anymore, but there was a time when I was younger that I felt so constrained by my body. I felt like my capabilities and capacity to move, to express ideas, to be places could be so much greater if only I wasn't confined to this physical body. I I, 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 I like to think that was my spirit yearning for freedom and its true self-expression. Just a thought. So you might be wondering why it is that there are so many songs about God sitting on the throne then, if he isn't really a solid form. I heard Anan talk about this once in a way that made a lot of sense to me. And what she said was, I'm not going to paraphrase this, but basically what she said was that human beings understand the concept of form. So it's a lot easier for us to relate to a God if we think of him as solid form. It's not necessarily that God is solid form, but that we need him to be so in our minds so we can conceptualize him. And that's why we have created all this imagery um, of a physical God, because remember that all of that imagery actually was created by man. So on to our next question. Why develop a relationship with God? If you're that person who feels like uh, life is going well, why do you need him? Why do you love him? I have lots of reasons for this, but let me give you just a few examples from my daily life and observation. Loneliness is one of the plagues of the human condition. Many of us do all sorts of things to escape it. And many of us, no matter what our life circumstances, find ourselves feeling lonely at some point in our lives. And usually I would hazard to say more than one point in your life you have felt alone. You might have been surrounded by people, but you felt like you were alone. Um, we get into or stay in bad relationships to avoid being alone. We sacrifice our morals and do things we know we shouldn't do to please people so that they can stay in our lives so that we can avoid being alone. We cry and complain about it when we experience it, and we try to do whatever we can to escape it. Um, I remember once upon a time, this, this many of you have heard of Britney Spears, famous singer, and I remember at, at the height of her early career when um, uh, that first song, uh, what was that song? Um, oh, heck, you know, I can't believe I can't remember the name of that song. Um, it'll come to me. But anyway, the song comes out. Oh, hit me, baby, one more time. Song comes out. 
She's surrounded by all these people. And I remember her remarking in an interview uh, and, and, and just kind of wondering why she still felt so alone. And this is a woman who's popular. She has wealth. She has, you know, every teenager knows who Britney Spears is. And um, she's a cute little chick at this time. At that point, you know, she's blossomed into womanhood now. But at the time, she's this, you know, sort of little girl kind of um, image. And she's wondering why she's surrounded by all these people and she's still alone. No one can be with you all the time, except, of course, the one who is omnipotent. I suspect that at the heart and in the soul of every human being is a hole that no one else and nothing else can fill except for God. And to support my theory, I would point generally to the teachings of many religious scholars who have espoused this idea that somewhere in you is a yearning for something. And you might continue to try and fill it with things. You might try and fill it with exercise, with your children, with your job, with money. Who moves my cheese is all about that. We fill our lives with cheese. Whatever your Whatever that thing is that you, you revolve your life around is your cheese. And your cheese may be your kids, your job, it may be money, it may be um, your romantic relationship, it may be your, your job. You get so much of who you are, you pour into this job and you, and you use that for, for fulfillment. All of those things we try and do, but the interesting thing is that many of us, do not find satisfaction in those things. I finally have the dream job that I wanted. Why am I not happy? I finally have fame and wealth and fortune, and yet I'm still lonely. Why isn't this working? And that's what happens to so many of us. You will notice, um, I noticed this, uh, VH1, the uh, music station, used to have this um, show called um, Behind the Music where they would look at the lives of um successful, well-known artists. And it was interesting to me that many of their lives followed the same trend. They would sometimes catapult to success, and sometimes success was something that came over time. But they would reach at some point the height of their success, and then they would get derailed. Sometimes it was alcohol, sometimes it was drugs, sometimes it was you know everything they could possibly indulge in, sex and drugs and alcohol and all things destructive, destructive behaviors. And then at some point they would they would tumble off the great pedestal into the depths of despair and some of them survived, some of them did not. And, you know, our our most recent sort of very well-documented case of someone who did not survive it was Whitney Houston, right? Poor Whitney Houston died just last year, and all of the reports indicate that she struggled and she fought mightily um, with drugs, and perhaps in the end they played a significant role in how short her life ended up being. But there are stories and stories, rock stars, um, so many artists who have gone that way. And my theory is that what they believed, which the rest of us often never get to, what they believed is that if they just got to the point where they had all the money, if they got to the point where they had all the power, if they got to the point where they had all the fame and all of those things that they thought, that they would finally be happy. Then they got all those things and they realized they were still not happy. They were still not fulfilled. So they went looking for something else. And my theory is that that hole that we're forever trying to plug is the hole that only God can fill. That's why none of those other things work. That's my theory. Um, so there we have it. 
And you can think of all kinds of other stars who've been down the same road. Catapult to success, Marilyn Monroe, considered one of the most beautiful women in American culture, dead at such a young age. And, um, you know, destructive behaviors kill um, lots and lots and lots of famous people. And that's my theory, that they never find fulfillment. And the reason many of us never get to that point is that we spend the rest of our lives chasing after something, and we never get to the point where we really recognize that I am at the pinnacle, so now what? Um, On to another reason. Those of you who have kids or who have uh, parented kids will probably understand my next suggestion easier than those of you who have never parented kids. Think about a two-year-old. They're at the point where they really want to flex their muscles in terms of controlling their environment. And many a tantrum has been had because there were dangers that you as a parent needed to protect them from that they did not understand. And so uh, there were things that you did and did not allow. So you're sitting there as a parent and you feel like you're saying no a great deal because this kid wants to go stick their hand in the socket and see what happens. They want to, you know, um, fly over the stairs and see how that how that ends. And you're, you know, constantly chasing this kid saying, no, you can't do that, don't touch that, don't do this, don't do that. Um, but consider what it looks and feels like from your kid's perspective, right? You are the killer of all fun. You are the one who kept saying no to everything and for no reason that was apparent to a two-year-old. What you wanted to say to that child was, trust me, I know what's best for you, and I'm trying to keep you alive. I'm trying to keep you healthy, and I'm trying to make sure that no harm comes to you. But your kid doesn't trust you um, because all they can see is mom or dad is trying to stop me from having fun. And, you know, you are nothing but the boring killjoy. Same thing happens, I'm told, when it comes to teenage kids. I don't have teenage kids yet, but I'm headed that way, and people keep telling me. When your kids hit teenage years, you will know absolutely nothing. They will know everything, and that will be their worldview for a long time until they start to experience life and they see for themselves what it really is about. Translate that relationship to that between you and God with you being the two-year-old, okay? Um What is the feeling that a lot of people have about God? Great skepticism and mistrust. You know, what is his ulterior motive anyway? Um, What is it that he's going to do for me? And they point to all the horrible things that happen on earth and say, what kind of God would allow that to happen? What kind of God would allow 9-11 to happen? What kind of God would allow the, the daily, daily, daily killings that go on in the Middle East in war Every single day, what kind of God would allow all of the nasty, terrible, horrible things that have ever happened? What kind of God would allow a 20-year-old to go on a killing spree and shoot his mom four times and shoot a bunch of little kids? Little kids, mind you. What kind of God would allow that? And they look at all those things and they feel deeply skeptical and deeply mistrustful. Whatever age you are, I will guarantee you this. You have a God who loves you and wants nothing but the best for you. He says, trust me. But all you can see is a boring killjoy who wants you to leave this boring, safe life. And if you don't do that well, you have nothing to look uh, look forward to except going to hell. And and that is is the consequence. 
But even if you do do that well, let's suppose you do lead this, you know, boring life and you don't do anything interesting, at the end of the day, what do you have to look forward to? If you subscribe to that whole idea of God being, you know, this this big Zeus, you know, white guy sitting on a cloud um, wielding a thunderbolt, you may also kind of think that, therefore, heaven must be you sitting on a cloud assigned to a harp, um, and all you do after you die is, is sing praises to the same God who caused you to have this boring life full of no's, in the first place. And um, I have to confess, you know, I would not be rushing to sign up for that deal either because, you know, sitting on a cloud playing a harp for the rest of my days just does not sound like a whole lot of fun. And then stretch that out over an eternity, I'd be thinking, oh, no, I don't want to do that. So what is the truth? Remember I suggested a while ago that God gave us earthly relationships so that we might understand how to relate to him. So when you think about God the parent. Just as you are your child's parent. And if God is the perfect parent, and I'm not including the damaged parents that neglect, abuse, or turn their kids into twisted, tortured souls that, you know, come out and do horrible things to other people. I'm not talking about those parents. Um, And by the way, every twisted, tortured soul is not necessarily the product of a bad parent. Let me just say that. Um, But I'm thinking about the good parents the caring parent, the loving parent, the perfect parent. If God is the perfect parent, the consummate mom and dad rolled into one, then consider for a moment that all of your distrust is wrongfully misplaced, just like your distrustful two-year-old who can't get the fact that you love them more than anything. You love that kid more than life itself, and everything that you've ever asked that kid to do or not do was designed to nurture, to sustain, to prosper, to grow that kid into a life of wholeness and success. Perhaps you don't trust God because of certain doctrines you have been taught all your life. Perhaps your church is one that really espouses the idea that if you don't do things or believe in exactly a certain way, you're going to hell. And maybe your image of God is not just Zeus on a cloud, but angry, furious, vindictive Zeus holding a lethal thunderbolt just ready to zap you the moment you do something that he doesn't like. If that's the image you have, then the idea of God being love might be quite foreign and require a reconstruction of many of the things that you believe. If that's the case, I will tell you emphatically that it is worth every moment that you spend redefining that relationship for yourself. Don't listen to other people and what they say about how God is going to get you if you don't do this and do that. Um, Build that relationship for yourself. It is worth it to finally fill that hole of loneliness that you might have tried to fill with everything else unsuccessfully. Your kids, your job, your spouse, your money, your friends, your wonderful life in the suburbs, all those, your cheese, right? All those things might be great, but many of them will not last a lifetime. And, you know, I don't know if I mentioned it, but the reason I talk about cheese is because I, I'm going to put on the website uh, on www.speedway.com. Uh, on the posting for this show, a book I'd like you to read called Who Moved My Cheese? And it's all about transition and how we deal with transition. So if you need to transition from a place of mistrust to a place of love, um, this book suggests that there are four different ways that people usually handle change. And you will see yourself in one of those. And you will be encouraged to perhaps be a different person and address change in a different kind of way. So back to our our topic here. Your kids are going to grow up and leave the house. 
your spouse may leave or die before you. Just ask all the former suburbanites who lost their homes in a recession how long that perfect picket fence lifestyle lasted, and you'll see immediately that there's nothing you can rely on, even if it seems so solid. Ask Bernie Madoff, one of the um, biggest white-collar criminals in American history. Ask him how long his wealth really lasted, because now he's lost it all and he's sitting in prison for a very long time. Ask the person who has lost their home, um, uh, or their spouse, how many of their friends stuck around, even though that was something that, you know, they felt that those friendships were things they could count on. So at the end of the day, no one is with you all the time. And most situations in your life will not outlast your lifetime. So the only constant, the only thing you can count on and know that you know it is for sure is that God loves you and he will be there from the beginning to the end if you let him. Better than that, he will be there through the good and the bad. When your spouse dies or leaves, he'll be there to see you through. Why do bad things happen? Well, because, you know, this is not the topic of the show, but sometimes it's really not about you. When my father died, it was not because God wanted to hurt my feelings and hurt my mother and my family. It was because it was my father's time to leave the earth. And it was not personal, and I should not have taken it that way. When 9-11 happened, it wasn't because God decided he was going to make it happen. It was because God gave us free will to choose what we do. And there were a number of people who chose to hop in a plane and fly that plane into a building so they could hurt the largest number of people. God did not instruct them to do that. God did not condone that. They made a choice. And God gives us choice, every single one of us to choose freely, and many, many, many of the bad things that happen on this earth are caused by somebody's free choice. Somebody chose to get behind the wheel of a car and drive when they were drunk and they hit and killed somebody else's child. And, you know, we ask why. Because somebody chose. Somebody either made a series of bad choices or somebody incapacitated themselves so that they could no longer make good choices. So through all of those things, God is there. And, um, you know, when that job that you counted on for your entire livelihood disappears overnight, God will be there to comfort you. And depending on the nature of your relationship and that at that state in your life, he may even help you find your next job. After all, as I said, he is the owner of all the resources in the universe. He should be able to give you everything you need. Um, so now that we've talked about, you know, what is God? Why should I have a relationship? Why should I love him? Why should I care? What does God every day look look like in the first place? Ask yourself today, what stands in your way of your ability to see the concept that God is love and accept it? That God wants a relationship with you. Not so he can boss you around and tell you to blindly worship him, but because he understands the trials of your life. Because he can see around corners that you can't see. He can see things that you cannot. He can see a future that you cannot see. And he knows that if he guides you through your life, he will be in, it will be infinitely easier to get through than you doing it by yourself. He will show you all the reasons you should run from that wonderful new relationship you think you found. Because actually that man or woman is not right for you and will cause, and will cause you a great deal of heartache. He will walk you through the grief and the heartache when you lose a child because some drunk person decided to get behind the wheel. He will comfort you and sustain you when you receive that dreaded diagnosis and peace will be in your spirit despite the fact that your body is falling apart because you know, and you know that you know, 
that you're not just your body. You are your soul and you are your spirit, and those things are eternal. He will walk you to victory by showing you each step you need to take in order to get that next promotion, and it will be yours no matter who tries to take it because he has earmarked it specially for you. My life manual says, if God be for me, who can be against me? And that means that what God has for you will be for you no matter what. I had a guy ask me once when I was in college, um, we're at a, at a club, and he, we look around, he looks around, there are more women than men, and he leans over to me and he says to me, so when you see all those women, do you consider them competition? And I looked around and I said to him, well, actually, no, because, you know, to the extent that, you know, it is in my destiny to be married, I, I, I don't need these women. I just need one spouse. And that one spouse, God will hold for me um, no matter what these other women do. Um, the job that is for me will be for me. I don't need to worry about competing with other people for a promotion because if it is meant to be mine, it will be. If it is not meant to be mine, there is nothing I can do to get it. And, you know, some people lie and cheat their way into certain positions. And sometimes things are meant to go that way to teach the rest of us something. But at the end of the day, if you walk by faith, then what you know is that that which is for you will be for you no matter what else does, what no matter what anybody else does. And this gets me back to the title of today's show. God isn't just a thought to have one day a week for an hour or two. He's a full-blown relationship. What does that mean? Well, think about what you do with uh, the relationships that you nurture in your life today. The number one thing that you do to nurture a relationship is you spend time with the person, getting to know them, learning about them, talking on the phone with them, um, how they think, what they like, what they don't like, what you have in common. You talk to each other, and the more time you spend together, the better you get to know each other and the more you like each other. Over time, depending on your relationship, and if all goes well as it would between you and God, you fall in love with that person and you find you can't live without him or her. You know, this is my bestest best friend in the whole wide world, and I wouldn't trade her for anything because she's been with me through thick and thin, and I love her to bits, and that's because we have been nurturing a relationship perhaps for several years, and we continue to do it. We continue to stay in touch. We continue to talk to each other, and that's how relationships develop. Now, you might be thinking, well, all this sounds great, and I get how to develop a relationship with someone who lives in a physical body, but how on earth do you develop a relationship with someone you can't see? And I have to confess, I have asked the question of my father, how am I supposed to develop a relationship with you when I cannot see you? And, you know, actually God showed me because I asked him. Um, you can ask and you can be honest uh, if you really want to. You know, I really want to have this relationship. How do I do it? There are a variety of ways that you can do that are kind of no-brainers. You learn about God by reading your life manual. And here I put a plug-in from the Bible because it's my life manual, and I know for a fact that it has solid teachings in it about God. But that's not that's just one aspect. Going to church or a place of communal worship is another way you can learn about God, not just through the teachings of the pastor, and if you go and you have a good teacher, you're going to learn a great deal that way, but also through the love that is shared amongst the imperfect people who go there. If your resistance to going to a place like church is, you know, gee, look at all the rotten people who go, there's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites there. Well, that's a bit like saying I'm not going to the doctor because nothing but sick people go there. 
And, um, you know, my favorite motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, uh, says, besides, if you don't go to church because there are a bunch of hypocrites over there, it just means there's a hypocrite who's closer to God than you are. So that is not an excuse for you not to go. Um, So what does it look like to have God in your everyday life and not just one day? It means you wake up every morning and maybe before you even get out of bed, you just lay there and just say, good morning, God. That's what I do. Good morning. I call him Papa because I read this interesting book called The Shack and in The Shack, um, God's name, God's, you know, the pet name that this protagonist had was Papa and I really like that name. So I will wake up in the morning and my first thought typically is good morning, Papa. And, um, then I'll start thinking about, you know, my day or whatever I have to do that day. But it always starts with, good morning, Papa. When I go to bed at night, good night, Papa. Um, I like to thank him for whatever I have to look forward to that day. And uh, I I, I like to spend time in meditation. I confess I don't do it every day and every night like I'd like to. I like to spend half an hour every day in meditation and prayer at the beginning and at the end of my day. And when my meditation is on, I feel that presence of God inside of me all the time. We talk all the time. And we talk about all kinds of things. I have found that in my life, you know, Jesus is really good at finding things. So if I lose my keys, you know, there is a point where I'll say, okay, Jesus, I know you can see my keys. Where are my keys? Will you show me where my keys are? And then he will guide me to look in places I'd have never thought to look. And um, that's God every day. I will um, walk down the street, and I'm looking for something, and I'm like, okay, I know you know where this is. I'm looking for this restaurant. I know from where you are, you can see it. Show me where it is. Will you show me where this restaurant is? And, um, you know, I will tell you stories about how that has worked sometimes, but it really does work. Um, I am so grateful for all the things that I have. So even when I have, I you know, I try not to have a lot of complaints, and, When I sit down with God and I have nothing else to say, the one thing I can always say is thank you. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my nice house that I get to live in. Thank you for my nice car that I get to drive. Thank you for that that job that I love so much. I get to see the world because I have this great job. They pay me well to do it. Um, I, I love where I work. I love the people that I work with. Thank you, thank you, thank you that I have such joy in my life through my friends, through my coworkers, through the people who love me, through my family. Thank you that I get to do cool things. Thank you that I get to wake up every single day and say, who can I love today? And I get to go and I get to have that love flow through me because God is love, right? I get to have that love flow through me to somebody else. Who can I reach out to today? I've got a friend who's asking for help. I've got a friend who's asking for prayer. My pastor's looking for prayer. Um, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to pray. I'm going to send him a Facebook note, and I'm going to tell him that I'm praying for him because that's the way that we extend love to others. And I always ask him, you know, who can I love today? Who can I extend your love to because I have received it in abundance? Who needs a kind word? Who needs encouragement? How can I treat my clients with love and respect? How can I treat my friends with love and respect? How can I treat every stranger I meet today like they are loved and valued? I, you know, it means I smile and I look in the eyes of the cashier at the grocery store because I see her and I want to connect with her even if it's just to say thank you for the job that you're doing, right? Lots and lots of ways. So you see, having a relationship with God is not about the preaching to other people and telling people what to do. It's not about running around, beating a Bible, 
I'm not sure where the whole Bible thumping concept came from, but it's not that. It's about having a relationship. It's about treating people with love and respect. People will respond to you in kind. Now, if you would like more information about how to infuse God into your everyday, visit this posting for the show, Spieway.com, for this show on Spieway.com, for links, articles, resources, and related past shows. In addition to the links on the show, you can also check out shows related to spirituality in the list of episodes entitled Spirituality. You can find them if you go to speedway.com. There's a uh, link at the on the top navigation that's entitled Episodes. And if you link, if you click on, if you uh, hover over that, you'll see a drop down in one of the 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 channels, as I like to call them, is going to be about spirituality, and you can check out all of the shows that have been done in the past on spirituality. If you are on iTunes, you can certainly go in and you can download a lot of the the podcasts ever since the show began that aren't even available on the website, um, and that relate to spirituality, like how you can talk to God, like um, why do bad things happen to good people, like, you know, why go to church? All of those are available in iTunes on the podcast for the show. And um, you can get there through a link. All of the links, I believe now, on speedway.com have a link to the web-based um, um, page on iTunes for the show. And if you are on iTunes on your computer, you can just go to the podcast section and you can you can run a search for Speedway and the show will come up and you can uh, subscribe to it and that way you'll get uh, updated automatically all of the future podcasts that we do. And then you can also download any of the past shows that you like. So lots and lots of ideas for how you can infuse God into your everyday life in all of those different shows that we have done in addition to this one. And at the end of the day, loving God is about love and trust and respect. Respect God, trust God, love him and allow him to show you how much he loves you. Allow him to demonstrate in your life what that love looks like. And it's not about beating you over the head. It's not about... um, you know, threatening you with hell every time you do something wrong. It's about having a pure and transparent relationship with God such that when you do do things wrong, you go to him and you say, hey, look, I am so sorry. Um, I messed up. I was tempted. You know, he knows you're fallible and he already knows what you've done wrong. And you sincerely apologize and you try and do better. And God will always be there. In fact, He will help you do better if you're struggling with something and you're like, I just can't shake this. This bottle is calling me every single day and I can't shake it. God will help you. He will help you throughout their people who've been sober 10, 20, 40 years um, who are recovering alcoholics and consider themselves to be in recovery still. God will help you with all of the things that are really, really hard. And all you have to do is ask. And, you know, sometimes I, and, and, and I am honest to a fault because Sometimes you look at others of God's children and you think to yourself, boy, what a jerk. You know, and I don't I don't even hide those thoughts from God because he knows. He knows that's what I think. And sometimes I'll look at him and, you know, sort of look at him um, 
metaphorically speaking. And I will say to God, now you know that's your child, and you know them better than that than I do. And you, I, I know you know that kid is a nut. I know you know that. I know you know that guy is a jerk, and I'm sure you know all the reasons why he's a jerk, and maybe his mama didn't love him. I don't know. But I'm just saying, I am sitting here and I am observing that that guy is a jerk, and what I really need you to do, God, is figure out a way that I can get my job done, notwithstanding the fact that that guy is a jerk, and that's your child. So if you have to talk to him and make him you know, do whatever he needs to do so I can get my job done, then I need you to go talk to him. And so there are times when we have just purely honest conversations like that. And I know that God hears me, and he responds, and sometimes I swear I can hear him laughing when I do stupid things, and uh, or at least I certainly imagine it because I think God has a sense of humor too. But at the end of the day, there is a way that you can infuse God in your everyday, and you will never be alone again because you will always sense that presence. And part of the reason the prayer and meditation is so important is because it allows you to attune yourself to God's presence. He's with you all the time. You just don't feel it. You just don't experience it because you're not open to it, because you're not listening for it. And prayer and meditation helps you to be still and to listen. And that's why it matters. And when you start listening... God will start whispering, and you'll hear him loud as day. And you'll never be alone. You'll never be confused about why you are where you are in your life. If you ask him, he will identify all the roadblocks, all the things that are holding you back from being successful and living the life that you really want to live. So I encourage you, use God in your every day. So that brings us to the end of the show. This is Viewer saying thanks again for joining me on the show today. Uh, tune in next week for yet another episode, but until then, what I want you to do this week is go in peace and find a way to to infuse God into your everyday. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.